Welcome to Commons and Chronicles, the podcast where we talk about all the best creative commons and reusable open game license content. If you need resources for your creative writing, game design, or you just love lore, Commons and Chronicles is for you. If you were a Dungeons & Dragons 3.5 edition player, or if you were a current Pathfinder player, then you know feats quite well. You're familiar with the concept. You may or may not be a fan of them. I happen to be a fan of them because I feel like they are nice, specialized, special bonuses that the players can take to feel that much more powerful. The interesting thing about many feats is that they do increase a player's power, substantially sometimes, but very often only in specific situations. And so they have a way of breaking the game, as it were, but only under certain circumstances, which, to be fair, will only happen now and again. Even if a player specifically takes a feat that is particularly well-suited for the campaign or adventure that they're currently playing through. For instance, maybe a player takes a feat that provides them a special bonus against sea creatures because the campaign that they're playing in right now takes place on the water. Seems like a good investment, a wise choice. And you might think that that's gaming the system, but another way of looking at it is that the player has analyzed what kind of character they are playing, what the character's strengths are, why the character would have ventured out onto the open sea, and it makes a lot of sense for that character to have some kind of special trait that makes them particularly deadly against sea, sea creatures or sea monsters. So, narratively, it, it makes a lot of sense, generally. Of course, there are times where there are exceptions, because on that seafaring campaign, out of the clear blue sky, possibly literally, there is a dragon who attacks the ship, and strangely, one of the characters suddenly rather suddenly after leveling up, has a feat targeted directly at dragons. Maybe that's gaming the system a little bit. Maybe narratively, it doesn't make much sense for this character who's been out to sea their entire life and probably have never actually encountered a dragon for them to have some kind of special talent where they can target the weakest point on a dragon seems a little bit convenient. But in my experience, and admittedly my experience is limited to the games that I've played in, or, or DM'd, but in my experience that doesn't really happen that often. And I'm not saying that it's, impo it, that it's impossible. I know that some, some players are quite, are, are quite unpleasant about sort of the ways that they, they maximize their characters. And some DMs are rather unpleasant about the things that they allow or don't allow in their in their campaigns, and sometimes it seems that it's conveniently simply to, to make a certain situation a little bit more difficult. Now, 
that speaks to the the expectation in a Dungeons and Dragons campaign that encounters are expected to be difficult. They are expected to be a challenge. And so if if your players have maximized their abilities, their feats, their special bonuses against a very specific foe that they anticipated appearing, whether it's anticipating because of the way that the story is going, or whether it's just the natural kind of metagaming, as they say, that we all do. I mean, if the adventure's title is Dragons of the Open Sea, then it seems almost silly for a player to purposefully avoid feats that involve dragons on the pretense that, well, my character, my player character, is a pirate and has never encountered a dragon before. The name of the campaign is Dragons of the Open Sea, so it makes sense for you to to design a character that's going to be good at seafaring activities as well as killing dragons. It's kind of natural, and and frankly, it's part of the game. So, should that happen, then there's an expectation that the DM is clever enough to modify encounters and to play the monsters that the DM is playing in such a way that that some of those feats that the players have chosen might be effective against one of the things being combated, but not everything, thereby making the combat or the encounter challenging despite the choices that the players have made. And that doesn't mean to nullify what the players are doing, it just means to add other stuff that the players may not have expected on top of the encounter as written. For instance, in my completely imaginary example, Dragons of the Open Sea, these seafarers might be out on the open sea, suddenly be attacked by a dragon. Maybe they've taken feats that give them bonuses against dragons in a way that that really renders the, the encounter a lot less threatening. But what if a group of Sahuagin happened to be passing by at the very moment of the attack and decided to take advantage of the chaos and join in the attack? Now the players not only have to deal with the dragon that they do have bonuses against, but also the horde of lesser creatures on their ship's deck. So that's a a very long preamble to what this episode's actually about, which is feats. And the more or less the lack of feats in 5th edition, which isn't true. There's actually feats available in 5th edition on page 165 of the Player's Handbook. It's an optional rule, and the way 5th edition handles it is that when you when, when you level up, if there is a boost on offer to an ability score, then instead of taking that ability score, you can instead choose a feat 
from the maybe four or five pages of available feats in the 5th edition player's handbook. This is arguably a pretty sane way to handle feats, honestly. Uh, it, it prevents characters, for, for players, from, from overloading their characters with options that, well, frankly, you just don't remember from session to session. It might be written somewhere on your, on your character sheet, but where is it again, and how do you remember that you have it in the first place in order to even take advantage of it? So, limiting feats to, to the couple of times you get an ability score increase, and then pairing the available feats down to, yeah, it's about one, two, three, four, five, six pages front and back. It really limits what your players are going to throw at you uh, from the Dungeon Master's perspective. There are things like a healer feat, a heavily armored feat, elemental adept, dungeon delver, mounted combatant, magic initiate, ritual caster, war caster, tavern brawler, sharpshooter, shield master. So you can kind of tell that these feats are not so much bonuses to specific situations necessarily, but almost they're a way to invoke archetypes. For instance, you're playing a fighter, but what you really have in mind is a fighter who can sometimes do a really cool force blast style attack, or 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 a fiery uh, like a burning hands attack, or or whatever. Take Warcaster, and now suddenly you are you've essentially multi-classed without having to 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 lose a level, you know, to to sacrifice a level of your fighter for for a level of 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 initiate kind of spellcasting level. So it gives you... It, it, it broadens the spectrum for the players, which is really very cool. But compared to, for instance, Pathfinder, a list of feats, well, there's no contest, right? And Pathfinder's feats take up, um, I don't know how many pages of the core rulebook. It's a lot. And there's just, there are feats for practically everything. Well... There's a third-party publisher called TPK Games, and they recently released, not so recently, I think it was in 2017 or so, but they released a book called 5th Edition Feats. And it is filled with about 150 feats written and designed for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. Now what it doesn't do is change the circumstance under which a player gains a feat. It has no... It, it doesn't offer any guidance on... on, on it, within that regard. It's just... it's still within... you, you, you get... If, you, if your player has... if your character's just leveled up, and it happens to be a level where you get an attribute uh, boost, then you sacrifice that and you take a feat. I have a slight problem with that idea, because a lot of the feats in this, I mean, 150 to choose from, a lot of these feel to me like they are not 
like they are a lot more specific than the ones provided in the player's handbook. So the player's handbook, you can see how it would be advantageous to sacrifice that attribute score so that you can, for instance, do a fake multi-class, a, a, a free multi-class, essentially. I'm not so sure that it's worth doing that for very, very many of the feats provided in 5th edition feats, the, the book. So I'm, I'm not sure if I would use this in the same way that I use 5th edition feats in the first place. Not that I've ever actually had a player take a 5th edition feat in exchange for an attribute score, but I don't really play very long campaigns usually, so it could just be that that hasn't really come up. But if I was going to do that, I don't think I would... I don't think that's the way that I would do this. I, would, I think I would make the feats a little bit more common, because these are these are a lot more specific. These are Pathfinder style feats. While the 5th edition player's handbook has, I think, broadly defined feats. So for instance, I'm going to pull out some of the, the ones that I, I sort of like maybe the most out of here, just to give you a, a sample of what kind of feats we're talking about. For instance, here's one that I quite liked, Demon Slayer. You've been trained to fight creatures of the lower planes and survive. Prerequisite is Wisdom 13 or above, and then Arcana or Religion Proficiency. You gain a plus one to attacks made against demons or devils, and a plus one attack to your AC against their attacks. You may re-roll a failed save against a devilish or demonic creature's special ability. You may only use this ability once per short rest. Your critical threat range against demons and devils increases by one. So that's a pretty good feat. I would say that it was pretty specific. Um, there, there's not exactly... I wouldn't say something quite that specific that I can think of in the in the player's handbook. I could be I could be maybe interpreting some of these a little bit more loosely than than is fair. I mean, I think arguably things like monster combatant that's a no, that's pretty. It's actually pretty broad as well. Yeah, I think I think this is pretty. This is a lot more specific than any of the ones in Player's Handbook. So, that's kind of what I mean by these being a little bit more pathfindery. Now there is um, there are a couple of ones that are that are pretty broad. Uh, looking right on the same page, actually, as Demon Slayer, there's Die Hard. You're especially hard to kill. Prerequisite: Endurance. You gain a plus one bonus to your constitution score. You do not die immediately until you reach an amount of negative hit points equal to your con score plus your level. And you gain a plus two bonus on death saves. That's one of those that I think... In a way, this is kind of... It's almost a placebo... And, and letting a player choose this one would almost be weirdly sort of like wasting a, a slot, as it were. Because, I mean, die hard in games these days, how many people actually die anyway? I mean, depends on how you run your game, right? But I think a lot of the, 
the tendency these days is to keep players alive. So just to let someone actually spend whatever your your whatever rule you're using to when you give out feats that kind of that kind of yes it's a broad feat but it's it's also a little bit a little bit useless to be honest but i mean you know if that's what the player wants then that's what the player can have Another one I liked was uh, Elemental Spell. You can manipulate the elemental nature of your spells. Prerequisite is ability to cast first level spells, so it's pretty low bar to entry. Choose one energy type, acid, cold, electricity, or fire. You may replace a spell's normal damage with that energy type, or split the spell's damage so that half of it is that energy and half of it is normal. An elemental spell uses up a spell slot one level higher than the spell's actual spell. I think that's a really beautifully de designed feat. It's, I guess, a little bit metamagic-y, um, and it's something that, that players can take at any point. They, it, it gives them a clear bonus because they can choose an energy type. Now, it doesn't say in the text, unfortunately, whether you're meant to choose one energy type when you take this feat. And that's the energy type that you have access to forever, or whether you choose one energy type when you are casting the spell. And so technically you have the energy type of of all of them. I think I'd re really have to think about which rule I would impose depending on the campaign. I imagine a lot of times just letting someone choose one one type when they take the feat is probably sufficient. Letting them do that dynamically seems a little bit overpowered, but I guess it would probably depend. But the beauty of this one is that they can uh, the, the the player gets that option to specifically deal some kind of damage to something if they know that that's what they need to do. But they're doing so at the cost of uh, one slot uh, one level slot higher. So. It's not just a free bonus, it is something that they can opt into because they feel like it's something that they need to do. It's that important. I really like that one. There are some that are specific to class. For instance, Healing Chakra. You can use Key to heal yourself and others. Key, if you don't know, is the sort of the um, the well, it's the currency, the spiritual currency of monks. So a monk can has some number of key points, or a, a pool of key, that's K-I, and can spend them for different class features. So the prerequisite for healing chakra is a wisdom score of 15 or above, and obviously the ability to use key, so a key class feature, which like I say, is, is a monk thing, so either a monk or a, someone multi-classing into monk could, could use this. As an action, you can spend a key point to automatically stabilize another creature. They become conscious with a number of hit points equal to your wisdom modifier. If you fail a death save, you can expend a point of key to re-roll that save. And as an action, you can expend a point of key to heal another creature. They regain 1d6 points plus your wisdom modifier. So I thought that was a kind of a, a clever way to tap into very specific 
class skills. It sort of remixes or maybe redefines some of the some of the feats otherwise available in the player's handbook. For instance, there is a shield mastery feat. Your skill with shields is nearly unmatched. Prerequisite shield expertise. When you wield a shield of any kind, your AC improves by plus one. You may add your strength modifier to offhand attacks made with shields. The 5th edition player's handbook has something a little bit similar to that called shield master and in this one it's this is what the player's handbook says you use shields not just for protection but for offense you gain the following benefits while you are wielding a shield if you take the attack action on your turn you can use a bonus action to try to shove a creature within five feet of you with your shield if you aren't incapacitated you can add your shield's ac bonus to any dexterity saving throw you make against a spell or other harmful effect if you are subjected to an effect that allows you to make a dexterity saving throw to take only half damage, you can use your reaction to take no damage if you succeed on the saving throw, interposing your shield between yourself and the source of the effect. So that's the shield master feat, and this book provides a shield mastery feat. So not exactly a remix, but but in the same vein, and with some different benefits, and a different feel, really. Shield Master is kind of all about taking your dexterity and bolstering it, because you happen to have this big wall between you and the thing uh, that you are dex saving against, or moving against. Whereas Shield Mastery is a little bit more about just the mechanics of what a shield does. It improves your AC by one and you can add your strength modifier to offhand attacks made with your shield so it's just it's more about the shield than the than the way that you use it i guess there are a couple of there there are a couple of 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 feats like that there's like a stealthy feat um a steel minded feat things that kind of take existing mechanics toughness that's a good one uh take existing mechanics and and give them small bonuses to, I guess, more or less to make them feel a little bit more like you're even better at them than you thought you were. So, for instance, let's let's go ahead and read the stealthy, actually. You're skilled at stealth. Prerequisite dex 13 or above and stealth proficiency. You can make hide checks when you are only lightly obscured. If you are hidden and make a ranged attack, you remain hidden. You can see in dim light without penalty. That sort of thing. So it really, it takes the ideas of probably what you think your class should already be doing, and it gets you a little bit closer to that. I think these are a lot of fun. There's 150 of them. Obviously not going to go through all of them. But the the book is... It, it's, it's really... It's a lot of fun to read through. It gives you lots and lots of ideas. And frankly, all of the feats in here, maybe with one or two exceptions, not that I can think of off the top of my head, I'm just allowing for them. All of the, the feats in here... I think would make combat a lot more fun. And that's what feats very often tend to do. Now, it, it also makes combat a lot more complex, and I, I realize that, and I think that's probably why 5th edition 
moved them away from, you know, moved them really into an optional rule, because it, it does, it just, it makes combat more complex, it, it's, it possibly slows things down, because you, you have to sort of recalculate everything based on, oh, by the way, I have this feat, and under the circumstances, it would be under effect, so what does that mean for, you know, what actually happened in this scenario? And that, that, that sort of question, when you have to stop and recalculate everything, that does tend to make combat, you know, it can turn a 20-minute a combat into an hour-long combat really, really easily. Nobody likes that. But if you're if you're used to using feats, and if you can roll with feats, and you have a good handle on combat, you're comfortable as a DM running combat, and you know how to feel out when a combat is, well, it's, whether it's boring, or whether it's too easy, or whether it's about to kill your party, you know how to adjust one way or the other. Then... Adding feats, giving those to the players, can, I think it makes the combat a lot more fun because there are a lot more exceptions that happen. Things that the bad guys do seem less dire because the player has something in their back pocket that everyone else forgot about and is able to pull it out at that very moment and, and tell you why. No, actually, that didn't crit. Or that didn't even hit. And vice versa. The players have these little tricks up their sleeve where they're fighting a bad guy and they do something really, really cool and everyone at the table cheers because everyone had forgotten about that feat. But hey, this is a demon after all, so you do get that plus one and you do have that crit plus one. And now the demon is dead. Again, obviously as a DM you have to anticipate that that can now happen because you've got all these new rule-breaking effects in play. But if you're okay with that, if you're comfortable with that, then I think adding feats into 5th edition is a great, great idea. I think it's a lot of fun for the players. It's one of those ways to break rules without lessening the, the rarity of, for instance, magic items, right? That's the the other way to have this effect is to throw magic items at the players, give them special special items that have special effects against certain kinds of creatures, and 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 then they pull those things out when that kind of creature comes along, and the combat goes very differently than they than, than it might have gone otherwise. But the 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 fear that it seems a lot of modern RPGers have is that if you throw a bunch of magic items into your world, then they're no longer magic. It's just basically, that's the way most swords work in this in this world, and what idiot goes out adventuring without a plus one sword? Whereas feats, I feel like that makes the player special, the individual player special, because the other three players, or however many players you've got, the other three players around at the table don't have that. They don't have bonuses against a demon, or they don't... They they can't make an attack and remain hidden, because they don't have that stealth feat. There might be another rogue on, in the party, but he can't, he can't do that. She can. So it becomes this sort of... Uh, the the exception... It retains ex the the exceptionality of the, of the of the player, because they're the ones who took that feat, and no one else did. And when you have 150 feats to choose from, the likelihood of 
each player having a different specialty is pretty high. So, I'm a fan of feats, is what I'm trying to say. I think that Total Party Kill Games has done us a wonderful service by coming out with 5th edition feats, and I highly suggest that you check it out. And in terms of storytelling, I think that feats is a great read, even if you're not playing actively in a game. I think reading over these things and getting a glimpse of what kind of characters these feats describe is absolutely inspiring. I think a lot of times we get caught up as storytellers, whether we're writing stories or planning little movies or, or planning a game. We get caught up a lot of times in the obvious shorthand of, of archetypes. We have the thief character, or we have the romantic, or we have the hero, or the, the knight in shining, shining armor, or whatever we've got. They're there, and they're obvious, and the, 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 the things at the surface are the ones that are already built into that story. It's almost like we're retelling a story, and we forgot to remix it, because it's the same hero as every other hero. Looking at feats, at 150 different feats, you get this, this picture of 150 different people, really. You get, you get, you get an idea of, of what, what kind of person might specialize in, in, in stealth, or, or in, in being a combat caster, or casting elemental spells, or, or being able to improvise, uh, improvise a weapon from whatever they pick up, inspiring leadership, rapid shot, razor tooth, ritualist, shield of swings, skill focus, strike back, thespian, thundering spell, toppling spell, all these different ideas, you read them and you get the, the you, 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 you no longer are concentrating on archetypes, you are concentrating on the exceptions that make this, this particular person, that yes, their, their base premise might be an archetype that everyone's seen before, but this one unique trait that they have, this thing that they do extremely well for whatever weird reason, that's what makes them unique. And then develop the story of why they do have that specialty. How did they get that specialty? That that feat? What what's the backstory of that? How did they develop that? It's a great, great exercise for writing and for coming up with characters who are truly unique and different and sort of your own, rather than retelling a story with the same five character types. That's really all I have for this episode, but before I before I sign off, I would like to point you towards a an interesting 5th edition and Pathfinder related project that I recently undertook. It has been posted to mixedsignals.ml. If you go there and look at the April, I think it must have been April 9th or so posting, April 5th, sorry, I'm ahead of myself, April 5th posting, you'll find that there is a Pathfinder 5th edition character sheet. What is a Pathfinder 5th edition character sheet? That doesn't exist. Well, no, it doesn't. And what I did was I, I have been playing in a couple of different games, and 
with one specific group that I play with, usually about once a month, we we kind of switch back and forth between Pathfinder and 5th edition. And after a while, we kind of started to notice that that the character sheets, when you're looking at your character sheet, your eyes kind of know where to go, typically. And when you're swapping back and forth between character sheets, you, you don't develop that muscle memory, or you develop a muscle memory for one and not the other. So you can't remember where to look to find something relatively important, like your armor class, or your your base attack bonus, or your speed, whatever it might be. And it started to get kind of annoying that we would we would forget where to look half the time for, for information that, that's really pretty important. And so I was kind of sitting down and, and looking at the 5th edition character sheet, because everyone pretty much universally in the group preferred that. That was the character sheet that they, they, they we kept sort of going back to, and, and sort of wondering, sometimes aloud, sometimes privately, why isn't the Pathfinder sheet more like that? And it's one of those things that you don't really notice until you see until you see one and then the other, and you have to use them sort of in you know just right after one another. And you realize, well, there's just so much information on one and and the other one is is it really kind of abstracts a lot of that information away. Now that could be a bad thing because you don't really understand, for instance, when you're when you're making a a specific check against one of your skills, maybe it's kind of difficult to remember what you're supposed to add into that skill in order to to come up with the final bonus number. But I feel like most of us uh, in this group are familiar enough with that that that's not actually a problem. So having different columns for every single kind of bonus that you need to add to your role in order to get your final correct uh, value, it wasn't really, that wasn't something that we were too concerned about. That wasn't something that was troubling us. Mainly it was, it was solely a question of, well, where, where do my eyes need to go in order to get that number quickly? So we... Well, I, I took a stab once at sort of simplifying the Pathfinder character sheet uh, in a LibreOffice spreadsheet. And LibreOffice, if you don't know that one, is a free office suite for Linux, Mac, and Windows. It runs on all three of them. You can download the uh, character sheet from a project. I'll try to remember to put a show note, a link in the show notes. But um, really, it, it kind of assumes that you're on a computer because it, it is a spreadsheet. So you, you kind of the expectation is that you're doing it on a computer. And I, I originally did that because uh, in a separate game I was doing, it was over the computer. So it just it was a natural thing to do. But like I say, the the actual problem wasn't so much as the uh, about the the number of blanks on the sheet as as the layout was. And so I thought, well, maybe I could restructure the Pathfinder character sheet. And so then I thought, well, instead of just restructuring it, why don't I just 
rip off the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition one? Wouldn't that be a better idea? And so I took the Dungeons & Dragons 5th uh, edition character sheet, took it into a program called Inkscape, and translated it from PDF to just the vector outlines, the, 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 the lines and things like that, that they drew in order to make the character sheet. And I started modifying it. And I came up with a pretty good combination of the two. The, the, the skills are now on the left. Uh, the, the Pathfinder skills are now on the left side of the sheet, which is where they are on the 5th edition uh, version. Now, there are a lot more skills in Pathfinder than 5th edition, so that kind of that meant that other elements had to move around. So there, there are some, there's some inconsistency, but, but generally speaking, all the information is now roughly in the same place on both 5th edition and Pathfinder. And the gaming group that I did this for has really, really enjoyed it. They, they've appreciated the reduction of visual information and the combination or, or the, the standardization of, of where that information is located and just kind of the aesthetic of it. Just the, now you can pull out either your Dungeons and Dragons character or your Pathfinder character and they look basically the same. Some of the information's a little bit different, but the, the, the essence of the sheet itself is, is essentially the same. So I've, I've posted the sheet. The, it's a PDF download. It's technically three pages because technically the Dungeons and Dragons character sheet is three pages. I don't think many people actually use all three pages. I think a lot of people just use the first page, honestly. Um, the, the second page is technically a, it was a background, a character background sheet where you're supposed to describe your character and talk about what uh, organizations they're a member of and so on. I didn't think that deserved it to be a second page because when you're printing these things, usually it's front and back. So really, I figured more often than not, the back is going to be your spell sheet. So the second page on, on mine is the spell sheet, which is exactly just, it's just lifted straight out of the Dungeons and Dragons one, really. I changed some of the fonts so that it would mimic the first page that I did, but that's about it. And then the third page is a character sheet, in case someone wants to write down a whole bunch of stuff about their character. But I, in my experience, people generally just sort of have that in their head, they don't tend to write it down. But you can download it for free, it's a PDF, it's on mixedsignals.ml. It's April 5th post, or you can just do a search for Pathfinder 5e character sheet, whatever, and you'll find it. So um, check that out if that sounds something that would be useful for your gaming group, or if it just sounds interesting to look at, by all means, take a look. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. that's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me uh, via email at klaatu at member.fsf.org. You can also usually catch me in IRC as not Klaatu. I'm on the Freenode network. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.